Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Rory Shiner, using the ancient Apostles' Creed to introduce us to the basics of Christianity. But to say that he is the Father Almighty, that that's his name, that, that brings you much more specifically to the Christian account of God, um, who is the, the Father of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. Rory Shiner, next. In the new book, The World Next Door, A Short Guide to the Christian Faith, Australian pastor Rory Shiner and co-author Peter Orr take the ancient but timeless Apostles' Creed as their starting point. Their goal is to introduce us and hopefully others to the basics of the Christian faith and discover how lives are changed forever. Rory Shiner pastors Providence City Church in Perth, Australia. Pastor Shiner, why did you and Peter Orr want to contribute another book explaining Christianity? I think it was quite personal for both of us. Both of us had, um, uh, you know, growing up, I went went to a you know a state school. Had you know most of my friends at school and uh, at university were um, you know were unbelievers, and um, I had this um, you know faith in the Lord Jesus and really wanted to share it uh, with them. And uh, Peter Orr, similarly, he was from um, from Northern Ireland, which is a more um, a much more religious uh, place in Australia. Um, but he had not not grown up as a church attender, which was uh, rarer in in those in Northern Ireland than in Australia. Um, but both of us just had that strong sense that we really wanted to commend the Christian faith to our friends and relatives, and just wanted to give that you know the best shot um, to think what's the book that would. Um, work for the people that we pray about and are concerned for. And um, and so we, we jumped in and uh, gave it all we've got. Now, your your country, uh, Australia, uh, is, uh, I mean, the U.S. Has certainly has its its uh, uh, aspects of this as well, but it, would it be considered, would Australia be considered a highly secularized culture? Yeah, that's right. So it is, um, uh, it is a very low um, church attendance, so church... Um, attendance, people who would get to church once a month, is something hovering about the uh, 10% mark. And the number of people who identifies as Christian is below 50%. We just had a census come out. And in Australia, we ask a religious question in the census. And um, uh, we are um, at something like 47% would say that they are Christian. Um, Hmm. So it is quite, and it's had a precipitous decline since the 1960s. There was a big movement in 1959 when Billy Graham came out here and church attendance peaked in Australia in 1963 and has um, been, uh, church attendance has been in decline or steady since then, um, but uh, Christian identification has kind of fallen off the cliff. So very, um, a very small amount of people who would who would say, look, even though I don't go to church, I'm a Christian, that, that has fall, fallen away massively. Now, you use the Apostles' Creed uh, really as the basis for presenting the Christian faith. Most people know the Apostles' Creed. I mean, perhaps they recite it weekly or regularly in their church, but can you talk about what the Apostles' Creed is and then why you uh, kind of wrapped your book around it? Yeah, so, so the Apostles' Creed is, is one of, uh, you know, a creed is a statement of belief that comes from the Latin word, I believe, and 
the um, the Apostles' Creed is an interesting one because it's the it's the earliest um, creed that's been accepted by Christian churches. It wasn't written by a council. So some of the creeds, there's one called the Nicene Creed, and um, most of the other creeds that are known in Christian circles are, um, you know, a council got together and it's essentially their committee minutes. Um, they deliberate and bring forth a, a creed. But the Apostles' Creed emerged from the early Christian mission. So as the, uh, as the apostles and their successors went off to proclaim the message of the risen Jesus around the Roman Empire and beyond, um, the Apostles' Creed became, um, out of that mission, the, the kind of standard bearer uh, or the, the, uh, the measuring rod against which um, other you know, versions of the Christian faith could be measured. So uh, it had a similar function. I understand that in Paris somewhere there is a, there's, a, there's a rod that is one metre and every other metre has to derive itself from that one metre rod. And the Apostles' Creed has that similar function that as people teach the Christian faith, it was held up to say, look, this is, uh, test what is being said against this. This is the, the heart of the, of the Christian faith. And so we, as we set out to write this book, we thought about alternative ways of arranging the material. We thought, could we do uh, kind of the story of the Bible from you know Genesis to Revelation or creation to new creation or a more um, focused version, maybe like a kind of bridge to life type thing about our dilemma and God's solution. And uh, we put up the Apostles' Creed as one of the possible, you know, organising principles for the book. And, uh, um, and the more we sat with it, the more we found ourselves attracted to it, I think for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because... Um, it means that the Apostles' Creed could do what it was designed to do, which is keep us on the straight and narrow. Um, so Peter goes to an Anglican church, I go to an independent evangelical church, and we thought, well, what's, what's something that's just going to be uh, common ground, the thing that we, you know, that uh, the vast majority of Christians around the world would accept as a fair summary of their faith, and that would definitely be the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. And the second reason is that we felt in... In this particular moment of the the secularization of the West, as the um, as the the faith that ha- has been so determinative of Western culture recedes, at least in people's active participation and so on, we feel that people have exchanged that for for what we think is quite a a thin, disenchanted view of life. That secular view where everything is explained just by instrumental reasoning and um, decisions are made with no reference to eternity and so on. In, in the wake of that as our mission field, the Apostles' Creed, we think it offers this expansive sort of Narnia-like experience. You know, in the in the, um, the Narnia series, in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, they mm-hmm. walk through this wardrobe and discover this whole other world. And it's, you know, it's vast and, and, um, and brilliant. And uh, our experience both Peter and I, of being Christian is like that, that the being a Christian doesn't get smaller and smaller, it gets bigger and bigger. And the more you live with Christ, the more you realise you you have so much more to learn and the vistas just keep expanding. That's our experience of being, being Christian. And um, 
with the Apostles' Creed, it, it draws you in, not just to a narrow focus on a few highly specific details, but it draws you into the whole Christian story. And we wanted to be able to say to our friends, uh, not just... Um, here's how you could get saved. That, that is um, central to the book. But to say, look, this is what it's. This is what we're talking about. This is the, and hence the title of the book. This is the world next door. The the world that that Christians get to occupy in all its um, mm. kind of expansive uh, glory. Well, the book is The World Next Door, a short guide to the Christian faith. My guest is Pastor Rory Shiner, Senior Pastor of Providence City Church in Perth, Australia. Well, um, Pastor Shiner, before we continue, I want to ask you uh, a few questions from the Creed. It's packed. It's, uh, as you say, it's the, the, a, a doctrinal statement, if you will, a statement of belief that really is accepted by Catholic Orthodox Protestants it is accepted across the board as sort of a summary statement of the Christian faith. Would you mind um, reciting it for us? And then I'll ask you a few questions. I'd love to. Uh, the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Okay, well, thank you. That is the Apostles' Creed, and you begin your book, uh, and, and I think it's kind of interesting. Obviously, this is a statement of belief, and people might tend to think it, it, it's largely um, an intellectual kind of um, exercise. You, you, you embrace these beliefs. You can memorize it as you've done, and then you've got it, but you start with uh, a, it really an encounter that Jesus had with a demon-possessed man in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and it, it, it's, you don't really necessarily see anything like that in the Apostles' Creed. Why did you start there? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. The, um, we started, so the first chapter of the book is about Jesus casting out demons, and we chose a particular story of him casting the demons um, from the demon-possessed man into a herd of pigs, and then that herd of pigs are sent off into the, uh, into the sea. And we, we began with that story, um, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the Apostles' Creed, um, uh, one of its um, deficits, I guess, or gaps, is it doesn't really talk about the life of Jesus. It goes straight from the, um, you know, his uh, burial to his, you know, his death to his resurrection, a birth to birth to death to resurrection, and um, that gave it gave us an opportunity to talk a little bit about his life. But we chose the um, uh, the the casting out of the uh, of the demons because we wanted to. Draw uh, the reader in, um, draw our um, our audience in with one of the most, I think, otherworldly stories in the Bible. So in Western, the Western kind of world that you and I both inhabit uh, in, in different ways, um, it's a world that is very um, de-spiritualized, that even people who believe in spiritual things will often, you know, go days or weeks or months or years without that being an activated belief, even if it's there theoretically and so on. Mm -hmm. um, uh, whereas as you enter into the story of the Gospels, Jesus is, he casts out demons. He's hes doing battle uh, not just with the political operatives of the day, but with the 
what Paul calls the powers and principalities, the forces of, uh, of darkness and so on. And the truth is that most of the world, for most of its history and for most of the time today, that is, that's a reality, that um, the vast majority of people in Asia and Latin America and, and Africa um, just in an unproblematic way believe that there are spiritual realities uh, in the world um, that might mean to do them good or might mean to do them harm. And in the West, we are very, um, we're the weird ones. We're the exception that we kind of uh, have these secularized lives. And so we wanted that kind of, I guess that sort of shock value of, um, of here's this, here's this other world to kind of deliver on the promise of the title that you're coming into this world next door, this other world. And the truth is that world is the world that the vast majority of our fellow humans uh, also operate in and uh, we're, we're the old ones out there. The, the idea or the, um, I guess the spark came from a, an American apologist called Francis Schaeffer, who um, was operating, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And uh, he, he was a very good um, Christian intellectual and uh, evangelist. And he used to begin his talks when he was speaking at universities. He would begin by talking about angels and uh, the existence of angels. And someone asked him once, uh, why do you do that? And he said, well, if I, if I just begin by talking about God, people think I'm talking about morality. But when I talk about angels, they understand that I'm talking about spiritual truths. And uh, so we, we wanted to kind of... Uh, do the same thing to bring people into a world and, and hopefully by the end of that chapter they're thinking this is very strange okay just basically indicating that uh, this is far more than just a a uh, set of propositional truths or a creed to be em- embraced but rather it's a there, there's it's supernatural because it's based upon yeah absolutely and the whole you know the whole um the whole you know the creed does bring you into that but the first thing you say is you know god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth you've already established that there's something outside of our world, something beyond our physical experience, um, and that's God. And then the, you know, the whole creed takes you through, you know, it's a doctrinal statement, but it's also in its own way a story. I think if you were going to map the, if you are going to map the creed, it's V-shaped because it goes from God all the way down to the suffering of Christ and then all the way up to the resurrection of the dead. And um, that's the story that we wanted to kickstart people into with that mm. opening chapter. Well, it is interesting. It starts with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, goes into, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And there are, I think, 10 or 11 lines on, on Jesus. And then I believe in the Holy Spirit. And as you said, then it talks about the church, the saints, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. In terms of that that beginning part, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, what, what specific claims do you hope to communicate as you share this uh, about believing in God that the, that the Christian faith makes about God, about what it means to believe in God? Yeah, so, and the, the, um, it begins with that statement, I believe in God, uh, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so you've got two, two basic claims there, um, who God is in relation to the world and who he is in relation to Jesus. So God um, is the maker of heaven and earth. That's the basic Christian claim that um, that this world and this universe is the the product of the creation of God. Um, the way we sometimes put it, the way I sometimes put it, is to say that there's only there's only two things in all of reality. There's God and there's everything God made, and everything can be identified as one of those two things. If it's if it's not God, then it's something that God made because God made uh, made all things, and He. 
the doctrine of creation is very um, that the the creed begins with very important. It's very important for the the Christian worldview because it means that we experience life as a gift and we experience uh, the world as a gift and um, uh, that's a, a basis for joy and delight in the in the created order and in the um, the things of creation. Um, and it also means that God is outside the creation. So God is to the universe um, as Shakespeare is to Hamlet, because you know Shakespeare. If you you know if you, if you remember the play, if in the play Hamlet, Shakespeare is not in Hamlet. He's not one of the characters. But it is through Shakespeare that everyone in Hamlet lives and moves and has their being. And, uh, and God is like that. He's outside the creation. You're not going to find him behind a rock or under a piece of iron or, or whatever. God is not in the world in that sense as one of the objects. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. So that's the first thing that Creed says is that, uh, he's the maker of heaven and earth. And secondly, but firstly in the Creed, he is the father almighty. And you say, who's he the father of? Um, he's the father of, of us all. Um, but he's, that is because he's the father of Jesus and Jesus is introduced as his son. And so the, um, that description of God as maker of heaven and earth, that's, that's fundamental to Christian faith, but that's also true of uh, Jewish faith and Islamic faith and um, even of classical theism. That's, uh, you know, um, Aristotle has a similar account of, of God. But to say that he is... The Father Almighty, that that's his name, that, that brings you much more specifically into the Christian account of God, um, who is the, the Father of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. And when you say you believe in Jesus Christ, as the Creed does, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, what does that mean to believe in Jesus Christ? The, the Scripture makes it clear that that's, that is the way, mm. belief in Jesus, to life eternal. Yes, yep, that's right. And so the, um, uh, yep, as the scriptures say, you know, um, uh, believe on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. That's the, uh, that's the claim of salvation. And their um, belief uh, can have two basic meanings. One is, you know, and the way we say that in English is you can believe that or you can believe in. So if I, um, I can believe that, uh, that the car will get me to my destination but it's only when I get into the car that I put my trust in the car and, and have faith in it. And so um, when we talk about saving faith, about uh, what Christians say is, is the, uh, the response that leads to salvation, it's the response of trust in, not belief that. Um, so no, no Christian claims that you, um, you go to heaven because you believe that Jesus existed. Um, and vast majority, vast, vast majority of ancient historians believe that Jesus existed, that he was a historical figure. But in the creed, we're talking about belief in, about entrusting yourself to Jesus and uh, and what he's done for us. And that's, that's really what we mean by belief. So you see that there, we say we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. So we're, we're saying that we believe that Jesus is the, the son of God the Father, and he's our Lord. That uh, possessive pronoun there, our Lord, is significant. We're not believing that he is the Lord of something or someone or somewhere. But specifically, to be a Christian is to, is to trust him as your Lord. 
and that's that's captured there in, the, in those words of the creed. And perhaps as some people are, are hearing this and they know that we are in the Christmas season now, and of course, most people understand that at least there is the, the belief, the Christian belief that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, but that's more than just a statement of faith. It really is a statement of, it's, it has a historical basis, right? It does, yeah. The, the, the virgin birth is interesting. So as you say, it goes, the creed goes from birth to death to resurrection. That's the shape of the uh, mm-hmm. account of the life of Jesus. And um, obviously we're, we're speaking in, um, in Advent and in the lead up to Christmas. And uh, the, the virgin birth is very interesting. So it, it's um, two of the four Gospels have an explicit account of the virgin, virgin birth. Um, both of this slightly technical point, but both of those gospels, that is Matthew and Luke, um, are clearly using different sources. So they're not just, um, it's not just that a kind of a Chinese whispers thing where someone told someone who told someone that they've got, uh, there's clearly two different sets of, um, evidence and, um, uh, witnesses that they are drawing on. If you compare them, they're, they're not, um, drawing on each other. And, um, it's not the claim of the virgin birth is not. It's not a dominant feature in the in the New Testament. I think Paul never really mentions it. The um, two of the other Gospels don't really mention it, although there's allusions on the way through. But it's an interesting one historically because it is it is there, um, and it's it's never contradicted elsewhere in the new in the New Testament. And it's actually something that we get from the non-Christian sources, um, from uh, Jewish and Roman sources. Not that Jesus was born of a virgin, but that there was something off about his birth. There's a couple of you know extra biblical things where uh, his birth is curious, or that there's some cloud suggestion that Mary wasn't married, or uh, 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 there's something going on there, and the. The Christian claim is that's because he did not have a human father; that he was uh, his mother w- was a virgin. And again, there that claim is not pressed into the Bible to uh, down to the level of oh, what was Jesus' DNA then, or what was his genetic um, ancestry, and so on. It's not a it's not a claim that's used to explain how Jesus could be who he was, but it's like a sign saying that Jesus was someone special, significant, and unique, um, that he was uh, fully man and fully God. And we're talking with uh, Pastor Rory Shiner, Senior Pastor of Providence City Church in Perth, Australia, about a book he co-wrote with Peter Orr, The World Next Door, A Short Guide to the Christian Faith. And uh, to really give um, a springboard for this discussion, he's using the Apostles' Creed, the ancient creed, which really gives a summary of the Christian faith and and, uh, who the a person of God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so forth. And Jesus did have to die. He was crucified. He died, and he was buried. I did want to ask about, of course, the resurrection. Most people are going to be aware there's a connection between the resurrection and Easter, but rising from the dead, coming back to life, if you will, what is the meaning of the resurrection? Uh, people can maybe intellectually can say, okay, I understand Christianity says Jesus rose from the dead, but what what does that mean for me? So, the, and the the creed's interesting because it, it mentions the resurrection twice. It says that Jesus, you know, on the third day he rose again from the dead. Then dot dot dot. Um, we believe in the resurrection of the dead, and you've got to the the trick with um, the theology, the belief in the resurrection, is to put those two together. So Jesus, three days after he died, 
um, was raised. He walked out of his tomb. Um, he left behind an empty tomb. So the Christian claim isn't that Jesus rose spiritually or that his soul was released or that he his memory lived on or anything like that. The Christian claim is quite specific to say that he his his body was raised and he left behind an empty empty grave. And then we believe in the resurrection of the dead, meaning um, that we believe that those who die in faith in Jesus will be raised in the same manner that Jesus was raised, that we will be raised bodily. Now, that sounds um, to modern ears sometimes a bit creepy to think that we'll be kind of these zombies pulled mm -hmm. out of our tombs mm -hmm. and you wonder about, you know, stages of decomposition and so on. Um, but the, the New Testament explains that that's like the relationship between a seed and a plant, that we are uh, someone who dies in faith, according to the Christian faith. Um, when they are buried, um, they're buried in the same way that a seed is buried. And, of course, uh, when a farmer buries a seed, it's not that's not a waste disposal um, strategy. Um, it's buried in the hope of it rising into its full flourishing. And so the um, the Christian belief is that when we die in faith, we will be raised like the seed, meaning I think that you and I will be recognisably who we were, that we will be raised in a way that is continuous with the kind of person we all will be transformed. Um, so we won't be um, suffer from the mortality and the associated um, ailments, but we will be, uh, the way I put it sometimes is to say, we'll be able to look at each other and say, Oh wow, that's that's who you were meant to be, and I, you know, I saw some of that in you when I knew you. The resurrection will be the fulfilment of um, all that we were meant to be um, in Christ, and so that's that's really the, at at um, uh, the way the uh, resurrection of Jesus and uh, our resurrection connect. He's like to use Paul's uh, metaphor. Jesus is like the first fruit of the harvest to come. So he's the first, the first of the rest of us, uh, the best of the rest of us, um, but he's the one that's appeared on the tree in early spring, and therefore there's the promise mm. that there's a coming harvest. Well, there are, there are several phrases yet to go, and our time has gone so quickly, and we have gone through and taken a close look at uh, God the Father, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus' resurrection, rising from the dead. In these remaining verses, Pastor Shiner, uh, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, which you've talked about, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you want to draw our attention to anything anything else as, as we wrap up? And, of course, pointing people to, to the book, The World Next Door, for obviously more complete explanation of all these things. Uh, there is a phrase in there that can be trip people up a bit when it talks about, I believe, in the, the Holy Catholic Church. So it's probably just worth uh, clarifying that um, Catholic, uh, if you think of that with a small C rather than a big C, the original meaning of the word Catholic is is universal or um, the main the mainstream of the Christian faith. So when we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, that's actually a declaration that we believe that there are Christians in Africa and Latin America and in, um, in Asia and, uh, and Europe and across the world. And we together share the Catholic faith and we are together part of the Catholic uh, Church with a small c. So um, that can be a bit confusing. We say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins. That's because that, that is the work of the Spirit, that the Spirit um, is the one who applies the work of Jesus that was 2,000 years ago, um, but 
the Spirit brings that into the present, winning our forgiveness, changing our hearts, and drawing us together into these um, these communities called churches. One of my challenges, I guess, to uh, to someone who's exploring the Christian faith but not not yet Christian, is to maybe get a recommendation from a friend, um, find a local church, and just um, jump in. And uh, what I sometimes say is, give it a year. My little um, dare is that if you give it a year and just think, all right, I'm going to hang out with these guys, you know, once a week, get to know them, try and work out what's going on. In their own quirky way, they're kind of impressive little places because people who are quite different from each other um, are drawn together. And um, uh, I think the average non-Christian would be surprised after a year of being part of a Christian community of what I am. Um, interesting and um you know in its own imperfect way loving and earnest um community it, it really is you've been listening to his people on pilgrim radio many thanks to our guest australian pastor rory shiner co-author of the new book the world next door a short guide to the christian faith coming up on tomorrow's program it's jisabel garcia pedroso providing food and other necessities to the poor in Latin America and the Caribbean. So a disaster strikes through our ministry partners on the ground. We're there. So they, they are already working through the emergency management agencies, working through the local government, through their community leaders to identify needs. And we're um, quickly, we can act within 24 hours. We're already out there uh, delivering aid and beginning to identify where do we now need to um, begin projects, access to water, access to education, access uh, to shelter and protection of lives as we go from relief to, to development. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.